We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what do you know? Good process leads to good outcome. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I was reliably informed that uh, good process, playing well, could actually only lead to heartbreaking defeat uh, per the last two games. But it turns out that if you continue to play well, you eventually do get to win football matches. And Arsenal did just that. And it didn't hurt that this guy who some of us have been saying should be a striker, although I don't know who would say that, uh, scored a hat trick. His first hat trick for the club. He now has a hat trick in three of the top five leagues, which is, you know, pretty cool. Um, and he's moving up the list, by the way. I think he just passed Alexis Sanchez in terms of Arsenal all-time goal scorers. There will be an interesting conversation to be had at some point about where Aubameyang ranks among Arsenal greats, um, having been here at a pretty tumultuous and somewhat disappointing time for the club, but having been, uh, shall we say, a... A prolific goal scorer, nonetheless. Anyway, lots of good stuff to talk about. Uh, it's even possible that despite his hat trick, Bukaya Saka overshadowed Aubameyang with his sheer brilliance, and we will get to that. We will get to a lot of things, because this podcast just tends to go on and on and on, so we have time to get to tons of things. And here to do it with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! And Tim, you can find him on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Tim is recording this from the Bates Motel. That's an inside joke, but apparently he has creaky furniture in the room <laughs> of his infant child, uh, which will no doubt imprint on that child in ways we can only begin to wonder the about. A rocking chair it is, in the it? corner, apparently. Yes, uh, in the great green room, there was a rocking chair and a red balloon. Uh, that's Goodnight Moon for those of you who are not currently parents or doing the parenting thing, uh, but you will be familiar with it eventually. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Clive, you went joyriding today. Your car had not been out of the garage for two weeks, you said. So did did you enjoy actually exiting your domicile? Yeah, I went for a little drive around and the police car followed me for a while. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, was it really worth it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm I, now back. I'm going to I'm save the social commentary fortnight. about that experience for uh, another day. But suffice it to say that I feel I have checked off intro banter. Check. Done. Getting better at this, guys. I'm getting better at it, and I haven't even talked about testicle shaving or <laughs> Arsenal Editor, but go to Arsenal Editor. Use Arsenal Vision. The guy is absolute legend. He was given discounts on uh, Thierry Henry stuff uh, this weekend. So, yeah. You know what? Yeah, oh, nice. he's and Aubameyang nice. stuff because the hat trick. So, yeah, Nils is great. One Nils to the Arsenal is what he should have named his website, according to Paul. But, you know, we all miss opportunities. It is, in fact, Arsenal Editor. So, a good day at the office. Um you know, I know Clive got a little grumpy. If you missed the instant reaction pod, we had to talk him off the ledge about going from 4-0 to 4-2. Normally, I'm the one who gets hysterical about the negative stuff, but no, Clive was was grumpy. I enjoyed this. I thought this was an absolutely thoroughly, scintillatingly wonderful performance. And uh, I will start with you, Clive. Uh, try to get the cheery part out of you. The lineup is interesting. You know, we talked about this in our sort of quasi-leads preview on Thursday, which was just would Arteta go for an extra technical player, an extra quick passing in between the lines type player to get around that leads press and help us go from uh, back to front a little more easily with a little less threat from them. And uh, the only thing is we hypothesized that it might be instead of one of the two central midfielders. Uh, But lo and behold, it was actually for one of the wide forwards. Pepe drops out. 
um, and we can certainly come to what that means. And in comes Odegaard uh, and ESR. ESR was actually the one who sort of played in the Pepe role, although... You know, I mean, we can we can discuss that as well. But basically, he brings in the extra technical player. Um, it's Luis and Gabriel at the back. Ceballos comes in after a long absence. And while I don't think he will be talked about a lot in this pod, worth a mention that I thought he was excellent having not played in a while. So, Clive, what do you think about his decision to get that extra sort of quick-moving technical player in there uh, to help with the Leeds press and, and just how it sort of worked? Because I think, newsflash, it worked pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, there's a number of things. I mean, it's not just a technical player, but a, a pressing player, energetic player. And Leeds are quite young and quite British and quite sprinty. And I think it helped having Smith-Rowe, who just, just fit that really, really easily. Odegaard does quite well. If you When he loses the ball, his reaction to get it back is quite good. He goes straight at it, so he's been well coached. So he's quite energetic. I think it's the addition of energy. I think Pepe's done really well defensively, but... They're quite defensive actions, so he tracks back, if you know what I mean, rather than tracks forward. And I think tracking forward was the key. You know, we said yesterday, if you look at the past combinations of leads, we forced them back to their goalkeeper quite a lot, and their goalkeeper wasn't great on the day, looked quite nervy with that much work to do. You know, so I think it was the addition of what we do off the ball when we lose it, then working on the ball in a symbiotic way, you know, in a nice technical way. But yeah, I think it wasn't just the the change to Pepe Roll, it was just the change to the the overall one brain type approach to the to how we wanted to play the game. And you know, I wasn't too concerned about them playing because they're really good players. What we were concerned about previously was having the wrong balance, having the right wrong type of players, not understanding each other's game. And what's been really enjoyable is that like, we can all see relationships developing. But you see relationship developing based on the fact of the quality of the individual. And it's something that Tim said about a month or two ago. And he said, you know, I think it, one of the games we did quite well. And he sort of said, this was a day for the, the good player or the quality player, something like that. Mm. And that stuck in my mind for a little while. And I was thinking, well, you know, it's about how you play, what you do, blah, 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 blah. But there is, there is like a language, an unknown language, this unwritten language between quality players. It's like they don't have to speak. They just know what each other need. And I think we're seeing that now. The qualities of these players are really aligning to each other. And I think that's the key thing, the key difference in performance levels. Yeah, and I think there's been a bit of a dismissive attitude about what Arteta's done in the sense that on this good run, some of the explanation has been, well, he just went to a back four, put the players in their natural position and picked the better players. Easy. Um, and, and I've been guilty of sort of referring to it that way as well. But... You look at the coaching that's going on here and, you know, dropping Shaq into the line of the defenders in the first phase of buildup or the way he's started to add in a press, certainly the way he used it in this game where it was it was sort of an asymmetric 4-2-3-1. So I actually thought it was more of a 4-3-3 out of possession because Odegaard was, was occupying central spaces. Obas shifted out to the left with Shaq on the right. And that's why Aubameyang had a lot of opportunity to attack from the left channel um, where he got his first goal, in fact. But... Uh, Tim, I know you wanted to speak a bit about Smith-Rowe's performance in this game in particular, and I, I think it also speaks to the talent of this guy that, you know, he comes into the team playing as a 10 between the lines, facilitating play in a role that sort of suits him. He seemed kind of naturally disposed to drifting to the right and combining with Saka. And Arteta says to this 20-year-old kid, oh, here, by the way, now go play out as sort of a left winger, but drop into the midfield in build-up or when we're pressing off the ball. And he just seems to understand it, showing a lot of intelligence to go with his talent. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a this is a position I think he's played more than the number ten um, out in the wide roles. And I I feel like we all forget quite a bit sometimes that Smithrow did come into the team um, just over two years ago under Emery um, in those Europa League games. And and one thing I think there's one thing we haven't seen of Smithrow yet, which I think we'll maybe see more of if he plays in this wide forward position, is he can score. He's got a good timing of run, um, good finish. Like he can arrive in the box and do that almost Ramsey thing. And we haven't really seen that in this spell um, of, of, of his time in the team. And what I really like, had, had I been on the instant reaction pod, I would have, I'd have chosen him for my stock rising, um, mm. albeit there was a lot of competition, obviously, <laughs> yeah, um, in, in this game. But the, the reason I would have chosen him for my stock rising is because he did the same things. Like he, to me, has completely transformed this team. It has all changed since he came in. 
Um, and, and, you know, part of that is down to his own quality. Part of that is just having a guy between the lines. But, you know, uh, just to say we have a guy between the lines is underselling it because we had Lacazette in that position and it didn't work, um, which is not a criticism of Lacazette because that's not his position, really. Um, so we were asking him to do stuff that he hadn't, you know, that he doesn't really do. Um, Willian as well has played in that position a few times now with completely no effect. So the the thing I, I love about Smith Rowe and the reason I think he can play wide as well as um, a number 10. I mean, when he plays number 10, he moves into the wide spaces anyway, um, quite a lot like Ozil used to actually, where Ozil really liked hovering over on that, that right hand side a little bit. Um, Smith Rowe does that, but he does that in both directions. He's happy going down the right or the left, but um, he, ma- he makes a lot of sense as a left forward, depending on your game plan. And and I do think um, what Clive says is quite right. We It wasn't just putting three um, fairly ball-dominant players behind Aubameyang, albeit I do think that was part of it. It was having three more pressy um, kind of players. And because Leeds, as you alluded to on the instant reaction, because Leeds match up man for man, what you really wanted in this game was was guys who could handle that. Um, and I know you spoke about that with the centre-halves, for example, Louise and Gabriel much more comfortable driving out of their hole and mm. taking players on than perhaps Mari and Holding were. So I, I do think that Arteta um, selected a lot of this team because of the opponents as much as anything. But the reason I like Smith-Rowe so much, and I really think him and Erdogan can play together as they did in this game, is because Smith-Rowe really unusually... Um, I, like I promised I'd stop talking about Smith-Rowe um, and and Saka in terms of their age, because again, to your point, Elliot, like Saka's age doesn't matter. He's just a really good player. That's what it is. It's nothing to do with their youth. Yeah, he's graduated um, to to age, no longer even being needed to be referenced at his yeah, level. Yeah, he's just a good player. It's not yeah. you know. It annoys me when people say, "Oh, Arsenal have introduced the kids." It's like, no, they haven't. There's a load of youth players who aren't playing because they're not as good as these guys. But what Smith Rowe has that I think is really unusual for a player of his age is he doesn't over embellish a single thing. Like this is a twenty year old who's been asked to play not nominally as a number 10 and in in this you know scenario like a wide left player who's basically playing like another number 10 that that's a really like that's a that's the glamour position that's the position everyone wants that's the position when players are playing out wide they whinge that they want to play and what i love about smith rowe is that he doesn't over embellish a single thing either on the ball or off the ball. And one of the reasons I was really interested in how this would go is because, you know, Aubameyang was moving out to that left space. And the reason I think he could do that confidently is because Smithrow just knows when to move and he knows where to move. He's, he almost sometimes I think like playing like that, um, that link player between the lines is is a very similar principle to playing as the deep lying playmaker or as the deep lying midfielder. What you're doing is you're looking for gaps and you're looking to to plug them. Um, and, and you can do that in a number of ways. So the way like Gilberto, for example, used to play for the Invincibles, it was all about which fullback has gone. I, I need to watch out for that space. Like has Vieira gone? Right, I need to stand in the centre and, you know, pull someone's Rotation. shirt when they come past. Yeah, exactly. And a good number 10 will do that in the attacking phase as well. Um, and, and and Ozil did this quite well, albeit I think his creative game dried up. But what he still had was that kind of, OK, the right winger's gone inside. I'm going to go over to the right now or yep. the left winger. He needs a pass. He's in trouble. I'll go over to him. He just drifts wherever he needs to be. And he does it off the ball as well as on the ball. So when Oba's drifting out wide, he knows to slightly come in and just create that little bit of confusion and fill that space. And he's so, so good at that. And there was a point in this game, there was a move where there was a pullback. I think Abamian goes over to the left, does a no-look pass to Cedric, overlapping Cedric pulls it back to Bellerin on the edge of the area and Bellerin on his left foot leaning back puts it about 100 yards over the bar but when you watch the (laughs) behind the goal angle there's a lovely camera behind that um, goal at the Emirates I think that's just perched on the end of club level and when you watch that and you see the run Smith Rowe makes in field because he can see that Aubameyang is waiting for Cedric and he thinks right Cedric is coming down my my flank now I have no business being here that space is filled so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in and I'm going to run into the box and I'm going to take someone away and, and it's just perfect he takes a Leeds player away from the edge of the box and he creates that space for Bellerin to shoot 
doesn't come off but he does this all the time and it's just it's just so nice to see a young player playing in this kind of position who is not tempted um to do those kind of to really over embellish and do the flashy things he's just he's just quite content to make those off the ball runs and it's it's so clever and um and and the only other thing i'd say just with the construction of that lineup it was touch and go whether Calvin Phillips would play for Leeds. He didn't play, but I do think we picked these three behind Aubameyang just in case he did because Calvin Phillips is up there with Bamford as Leeds' most important player, not least because they have nobody that can replace him. And what they did was they took a centre-back out to play his position, which meant they moved Luke Ayling from right back to centre half and they put a new right back in and they really disrupted that area of the team. But I think Arsenal picked um, the three young guys there just in case Calvin Phillips was playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much to love about the Smith Rowe performance and it's easy to get lost in a game where the striker has a hat trick and, and Saka goes supernova. That assist, by the way, what do we think? The, the Smith Rowe assist for, I think, I guess it's the fourth goal. Does he mean that? Does he mean that pass? Because that, if he means that, I mean, does is it a miss? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I I thought at the time that he meant it, but the only thing that gives me pause for thought is on Twitter, he kind of posted hmm, cross or shot with the um with the long nose emoji, mm. um, which made me think, why would you, know, you do that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which 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 made so, me think. So you yeah, can okay. see in the live celebration. I don't know if you caught it. Him and uh, him telling Chaka that he meant it with a big grin, and Chaka telling him to piss off with a big grin. Well, because so. uh, you know when you just look at the way he played the position versus the way Pepe would have, and he attempts one dribble the whole game. He completes twenty-one and twenty-four passes, so eighty-seven percent. Moves the ball quickly. Three shot creating actions. Three goal creating actions. It allows Odegaard to come in and have a nice eighty-four percent passing clip. Twenty-six to thirty-one. Keep the ball moving. You know, did Odegaard catch the eye in this game? Was he brilliant? I don't think he was brilliant. I just think he did what exactly we needed from those those players in in those central spaces, which is get it and give it. Keep it moving. Don't get caught. Don't get trapped. So I, I think that was really good. I mean, Paul, that that dynamic of having both of those players in this game really seemed to work. Um, you want to build on that really quickly? We have a lot of good performances and good moments to get to here, but I, I don't want to lose this because I think, you, you know, just pick, think back, guys. Think back to when it was a Shaka Ceballos midfield earlier in the season or even a Shaka Elneny. When Lacazette was dropping in to make the man between the lines and there was no one ahead of him. So it was Aubameyang on the left, a low-touch player who's not particularly known for moving the ball quickly. And a guy on the right in Willian, you know, who will get to Anon maybe, or or even Pepe, who was a little slower to move it and was certainly not in great form from the right. And you think about what that meant in terms of having to go through the center backs and having to do that horseshoe passing and the only available option being the, the wing backs. And then you look at what this does. Technical players who can move the ball quickly, who are press resistant. Smith Rowe with his intelligent movement. Odegaard popping up between the lines. And it's it's night and day different. Um so, uh, Paul, you want to you sort of expand on how that dynamic yeah, worked in I, this game? And then maybe we can talk a little about the press, because I think that's the next thing that we added, especially in this game. Yeah. So I think Tim's just hit on something really important with the Smith-Rowe thing, because it's the simplicity of his play. And you see it in the first goal, which cranks this goal wide open. If you think that Gabriel plays it forward and the centre-back's Playing the ball upfield is another important dynamic in our game. But uh, Gabriel pings it from the halfway line up to kind of the the three-quarters mark. If you think Smith-Rowe is standing there already waiting for the pass, he's not. He's basically out wide with Aubameyang inside. And to Tim's point, they make complementary opposite runs instantaneously like synchronized swimmers who don't make uh, opposite uh, coordinated runs but anyway um and he darts into position like we don't have players who do what smith Rowe does uh his movement is instantaneous and it's at speed and he takes up a new position and then what's he do does he do something fancy does he do? no he does a very simple horizontal pass to set up uh, chaka uh, who can make the insightful pass because Smith Rowe knows if he if he gets into space, if he gives it off quickly, he gives that person options. And so Chaka plays a beautiful pass to 
beautiful, simple pass because it's it's totally on to Aubameyang, who's now isolated one on one on one, and it's all made because a the centre backs are doing this fairly unique thing in this game of playing straight up or over the top, and getting the play quickly into uh, the final third, uh, so that leads are on the back foot. And Smith Rowe is making those simple movements quickly, decisively, creating separation, keeping his passing simple, and opening up all kinds of space for us to isolate them. And uh, you know that it 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 evades the eye because he keeps it so simple. But I I hadn't I watched it a couple of times and only recently realized just what he did in that simple movement. Uh, it's kind of brilliant. What what and it's to Tim's point of players making runs and Arteta talked about faked movement, faked runs afterwards and how our decision making, all that kind of stuff. And it's all in there with these players. So it was pretty exciting. I, I, I think the center back thing leads into your point, uh, Elliot, about how we played and the pressing, etc. cetera. Uh, Cause there was a lot of discussion around the center backs and kind of long balls going wayward, but I just think that was the tactic. Either play it straight up the pitch, and Luis has a really nice pass that led into our fourth goal in the second half, right up the center of the pitch. Uh, Gabriel does it a few times, and they both go long. Cedric goes long. The keeper goes long. But I don't think the point is necessarily to hit our guy. That would be nice. It's to get it into their final third so we can press the fuck out of them for the first half. And I think that's at least half the tactic. Get get the ball into their final third quickly and then press the fuck out of them. Yeah, you know what? I I do want to... So I'm torn because I, I, I don't want to go too much longer without making sure that we really wax poetic about Saka and discuss the Aubameyang performance. I mean, the guy had a hat trick and, and we're probably not going to get to him until past the half hour mark. But <laughs> it's just the nature of this game that I think the more interesting things actually are the way we avoided their press and the way we triggered our own. But I, I do want to touch on Saka real quick. And Clive, I, I I think it is very important that we sort of contextualize where we are with this guy. He is 19. It's totally irrelevant that he's 19, as we've said, because he is just arguably our best player, becoming one of the most exciting players in the league, if not the best player, certainly pops off the screen. And it's not just, wow, he looks good. Now the stats are, are are matching this. I mean, first of all, the ball went through him a lot. He had 47 touches, you know, one of the most in our team outside of the, the center backs. He had 26 pressures, the most in the team. He had four tackles, the most in the team. He had um, four shot creating actions, the most in the team. He had 42 carries, the most in the team, seven progressive carries, the most in the team. Eight attempted dribbles, by far the most in the team, and five successful dribbles. No one else completed more than one. I mean, basically, and he creates two penalties, and all we're going to say about this is, yes, they both should have been penalties. We got one, so we don't have to discuss it. Let's move on. But yes, the first one is soft, but it's given, and I don't see how VAR can overturn it the way VAR has been used this season. But let's not... Let's not spend time on it when we have so much more fun, exciting things to discuss. So in terms of Saka, Clive, I mean, the way he has developed, the trajectory of his development is really consistent with the kinds of players who become stars. And in this game, what really stands out to me is the way he attacks defenders. Because, you know, you look at Pepe, and Pepe will attack a defender one-on-one. He sort of tries to do it with his technique and his trickery and, you know, flicks and stepovers. Saka does it with a, a sort of athletic burst past a player. He wants to put them to a decision quickly, and they usually can't live with him. And, and in this game, they they absolutely could not. He roasted um, what's Alik Alioski or whatever his name is, who was the guy that ironically Pepe got wound up by and headbutted. So he got what was coming to him this game. But do you want to just sort of explain to me what has maybe changed or developed about Saka that is now making him such an all-around unstoppable player? It's a, it's a tough one today because I think this game tactically is better than than many games. I think it's a really interesting one and we had some good preparation time and maybe we'll get to some of that in the rewatch, Elliot. But on Saka, um, I was, what's the best way to describe it apart from eulogizing? <laughs> right, as you 
You can eulogize. That's fine. Well, eulogize you do when when someone has died, right? So maybe more of like a hagiography would be good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you, smart, intelligent people. So I need you to correct me, right? So um, (laughs) so basically, I bring it back to coaching always, right? So when you build a player, the four pillars, right? Technical, technical, tactical, physical, and mental, right? So they're your four pillars in any sort of coach, and any sort of coaching as you build a player. So technically, we can see he's got that. He's got very fast feet. He's got two feet. He can shoot. He can he can do anything. He can dink passes. He's got laser passes. He can cross. His crossing is accurate, and he can carry. He can dribble, right? So, tick, right? On the physical side of things, he's got amazing speeds. He's got speed agility, which is a short, sharp speed, and he's got speed endurance. He can run long distances. That's why he can play wing back. That's why he can play on the outside or the inside, right? So, and he's got his ability to accelerate. Acceleration comes from really fast feet. Small contact time on the floor, really fast cadence. Tick, he's got that too, right? So, on the tactical side of things, for some a player that a left back, left wing back, uh, left wing, left eight, right wing. Um, I think tactically he's played all those positions as if he was the best player in those positions every time he plays there. Right? When he plays wing, he plays left wing back. He's put Chilwell in the box. He's struggling because. Relationship that Saka has with Grealish, it's really makes Southgate think. So he can do whatever he likes from a tactical perspective. And mentally, I think this year has been the biggest test of all. We've got a nineteen-year-old kid who's the is the mental, tactical, best player, leader of this team. When all those older players were crumbling, looking at their boots, hiding, standing next to each other, not rolling into midfield, so we were, we were begging for number tens. They were standing there on the far post with three men in front of them, not looking to get anywhere near the ball. This kid was saying, give it to me. I'll do it. I'll roll around. To the point we were thinking he's the only creative player we got until Smith-Rowe came along. So I cannot pay him any higher praise than that. I think, basically, he has led this team from the lowest point in my Arsenal-watching life pre-Christmas. I couldn't think of a lower point when we were going to a games against Burnley, worried about the result. And it happened. You know, so, and he led us, so you judge people in adversity, well, I do anyway. What do you do when, when it's a dark, dark time? And he stood up, and all the stuff we're seeing now is a is a product of good coaching, good development. We talk about with Smith Rowe, one touch, that's exactly how they're built in the academy. I know this, because they beat the academy that I was involved with, 12-0 in the game, <laughs> and basically... They, they were so surprised how many touches we had in the ball because they were coached to have one or two touches. And so basically, that's how they're brought up at us to do exactly what they're doing in the first team. But to transfer that into the first team, when not tens of people are watching you, but millions of people are watching you globally, that's just fantastic, right? You just don't get that very often. So, so, so Clive, your, your no-touch policy didn't work out? <laughs> well, yeah, we just watched. <laughs> <laughs> you were you we, were ahead of your time. That's what went wrong there. We just watched, and it was it, it, it was a lesson for me actually, just watching how they do it at the cat one level, the top top level, and how little contact time they have to on the ball, despite their talent. So it's not about what you do; it's about what the team does. And I think we saw that the weekend, didn't we? Players that think that way. You don't need more than two or three touches. One touch, one touch, bang, pop it, set it, move. Move quickly. You only have more touches if you're carrying it to the next zone where you can create one-touch movements again. You know? I've got this thing in my mind. I'll I, I, I say, say it for the rewatch, maybe. I've got this thing in my mind about... That's tomorrow, uh, by the way, Clive. You're signed up for that. First half rewatch tomorrow. So uh, that's on the Patreon. <laughs> I've got this thing in my mind. And I'm just going to... I don't want to derail the podcast. Right? I've got this thing in my mind. There's, <laughs> there's lots of... <laughs> There's lots of things, you know, we talk about things and actions and things that we see. And some of those are instinctive and some of those are more prescriptive, more planned. And I think sometimes lots of people, not just us, lots of people say, oh, we've done that because this happened, this happened, you've done that because this happened. I wonder what, what you know, when, when we have a look at this more closely, what do we think was player quality versus coach quality? You know what I'm trying to say? I think that some what what we are finding is with these front four in particular, we're able to solve more problems that are presented to us on the day because of their all-round ability to understand the the nuance of the game. 
I think how that looks to us on the rewatch will be quite interesting. It is the hardest thing I think as fans, especially in like a FIFA, Xbox, PlayStation era, which is you want to put the players you like that are fun on the pitch. And the job of the coach is to put the players on the pitch that get the best performance and result. Now, sometimes those things are the same. Sometimes, you know, when you're saying, just play Pepe, Saka, and Oba, and oh, by the way, you do it and it works. But like sometimes you look at a game like this and okay, Pepe had to sit down today. But it allowed us to have an extra quick-moving technical player in the side between Smith-Rowe and Odegaard against a team that's very pressing. And we didn't have a, a challenge with it. And and it let us have a player on the pitch who was maybe a little more suited to, to triggering the press the way we want to do it. It worked. And, and that's what's important. So you sometimes have to set aside these sort of enthusiasms for specific players. Let's yeah. talk, Tim, about the the decision to to start Aubameyang over Lacazette and, and how this changes it. You know, sometimes it's just about the player is better. Aubameyang is a better player than Lacazette, but that's sort of the reductive way to look at it. And maybe, while I'd like to <laughs> look at it that way, there is another angle here too, which is what he's being asked to do. And when we had one few, you know, one less creative facilitating player on the pitch... When there was, when the nine had to also be the 10, you could argue that Aubameyang was not suited to that. I also think we sort of overplay what Lacazette does with hold up, hold up play, build up play back to the goal. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know that it's as staggeringly sensational as we have sometimes pretended for the sake of getting him in the team. But look, the addition of a press also changes how you create chances. And you create chances yeah. when you press with really short, quick attacking moves Aubameyang's got that quick twitch, get in the box, get available. He also did create his own goal to some extent here. You know, that he carried the ball quite a bit before that goal. But I just think the combination of him being the better player, the better natural goal scorer, combined with the way we are playing now, an extra facilitator plus a press, it all sort of points to him being the guy. So for you, I mean, yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about how Aubameyang's performance impressed you, but also the way our new playing style really suits itself to him having this role? Yeah, absolutely. So I felt a little bit when I saw that he'd been selected up front um, because I'm an egomaniac. I felt a little bit nervous because I'd, I'd gone big on my column this you week about playing him up front <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, you know, putting, you know, just uh, so I watched Leicester against Liverpool on Saturday lunchtime. And um, at half time, I, I had a little look in stat zone because I, I'd used Leicester as an example because of the way they play with Vardy with these kind of. Um, you know, uh, very high octane fullbacks and creative players around Vardy. And so I watched the first half and then I, I looked at Statzone at half time and Vardy first half against Liverpool, eight touches, three of them shots, um, all on target. Well, one hit the bar, so I'm not sure if you classify that as on target or not. One of his other touches was nearly a shot. It was basically him and Alisson running for a ball for what could have been a one on one, but Alisson just got there. Um, so like 50% of his touches were like inside the box in and they were either shots or very damn close to shots. And, you know, I put I put a toy out at half time kind of saying, that's how you do it. That's how you play with a low touch uh, striker. So I was quite nervous about this. I was thinking, oh, no, um, because obviously everyone would be thinking about me and what I've written um, when they're watching this game. Um, but but it, it it worked quite nicely, didn't it? I, I think. Um, I think to your point, like we've said it all before about I agree. I think like, you know, the extent to which Lacazette links play, while not um, not valueless, it does have a value. I think the value of it has been inflated. I also think Aubameyang is better at it than than people kind of say. I, I also think the, pe the thing that people kind of miss with this as well is that like linking play is like a, a good thing to have for a centre forward. I have to be honest, I, do, I don't really see Aguero do it for City. Um, I, I just kind of see him and I think he's gotten better at the pressing. I don't see him with his back to goal linking play. I, <coughs> excuse me. I don't, I don't have that image in my mind of him. I have him, I have him like in the penalty area, um, getting on the end of chances because they have such good wide players. But I think what people miss is that even if you think Aubameyang is a bit of a zero in possession, that to me is a far bigger problem when he's on the left wing than it is when he's up front. Like, you definitely need your left winger to like touch the ball and be involved in build up like and you don't get that with a Bamyang. So materially, I, I understand that his goal record out wide and through the centre are broadly similar. But to me, that that makes me think, yeah, OK, so put him in the centre and then put a guy on the left who adds a bit more. 
Um, and and look, I'll I'll be honest. I, I I'm not convinced this like formulation of the attack would always work like this. Like this was a good day. Aubameyang got a goal early. Liverpool, uh, sorry, Liverpool Leeds had some injuries um, that I just outlined in the in the kind of defensive area of their team. So, you know, it, it was it was like it was a bit of a sunshine day. We could play this exact same front four against, um, let's not say Man City, because they're a bit of an outlier against Leicester and it might do nothing. Um, and Aubameyang might have four touches and not a shot and, and all of that. But what really interested me about this is I, I liked the idea of Smith Rowe and Erdegaard there. Um, and I felt this was a good tactic for this game. But the other thing it made me think is, like I like the balance of a front four to be broadly, crudely speaking, two creators, two scorers. I think here we probably had one and it worked because the one scorer got, well, he got two goals in a penalty. Um, you know, that's still a hat trick, but you know, in terms of the way you build play, that's two goals, but he hit the bar. He had that shot that was blocked. Like he was getting a lot of chances. I, I think for a lot of games, I'd still like that other finisher. And so I was mm. watching this and I was thinking, you can play Martinelli on the left with this and you can have him as that secondary finisher and he will press as well. And he can do that like, um, you know, like we were moving Aubameyang over to the left and, and like he can go and press and Harry off the ball and things like that. Like, Aubameyang and Martinelli in the team has not worked at any point yet, but it's a really small sample size, and I think it can. I really do think it can. I, so I, I would as, argue, as, I mean, if you're not going to play Aubameyang in this particular type of setup, that you play Martinelli instead of him rather yep. than Lacazette. Yeah, I mean, that just makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And and I think um, you add Tierney into that, then you can definitely have Martinelli on the left and Aubameyang up front. Um, and we tried that. Um, I think it was away at Brighton and, and we created some chances doing that. I'd like to see more of that. But I was thinking, yeah, today is the day for the the wide left guy to be more of a creator, albeit, like I said, I do think Smith Rowe's got goals in him and we'll see that. But I think there are days where you can go, yeah, let's, let's, let's plug Martinelli into that and have, you know, Smith Rowe and Saka or Erdegaard and Saka kind of riffing and doing the progression and then have two guys in the box as well um, and and we should point out that you know Leeds's defense even without the injuries has been shite all season like they are a team we talked can, about it Thursday yeah mm -hmm. yeah they're a team you can post lots of shots against so again possibly a bit of an outlier but do you remember like over new year when we first got this kind of front four together and actually it was Martinelli on the left it was Lacazette up front it was Saka it was Smith Rowe and we were talking about okay we've kind of got a front four that worked and one of the things I was talking about was yeah but you can't play that front four in every single game and what Arteta has to do now is so I found a system that works I have to be able to plug Pepe and Martinelli and at the time Aubameyang um, and Willian, albeit that hasn't happened yet, I, I have to be able to plug those players in and we have to ha be able to have, you know, we have to be able to rotate this attack around a little bit and give teams different problems. And I think we're beginning to see that. And, and you know, Pepe has been has really picked up in recent weeks. And now we're coming to a stage where it's really only Willian who you'd look at and say, yeah, just don't don't use this guy <laughs> where mm. you can rotate them all in and out. So like you were discussing earlier, like we shouldn't feel too sore about Pepe not playing because there'll be Pepe games and there have been Pepe games and there'll be Martinelli games and there'll be Smithrow and Erdogan games. So there'll be what, you know, like just keeping that rotation and that 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 flexibility and attack. And I think we're just beginning to get towards that. But I, yes, ideally, look, I've gone over it all before, so I won't repeat it Aubameyang up front yeah absolutely that's the decision you already made with the contract situations go with it and and with the way you've changed the way the team plays I mean yep. the there were there was a lot of mental gymnastics to talk about how oh well Laka is crucial for his pressing triggering or Laka is crucial because he has the hold up player Laka is crucial because he can drop into midfield and facilitate I don't know that any of those things were as true as we made them out to be but now playing this system none of those things are as needed and, oh, by the way, Aubameyang's not a bad press. We've seen him take balls yeah. off goalkeepers. He almost did it again in this game. Um, and he's a hell of a good guy to be able to give it to when you have taken the ball off the opposition. I, I think one thing that's unfortunate about the way we discuss Aubameyang, when you talk about running in behind, people sort of make it out like, oh, you know, unless you're playing on the counterattack, that doesn't work. 
His movement isn't just running in behind. He has a preternatural ability to be in the box in the right place. Look at the goal he scores for the fourth goal. But also, the shot that's blocked, that really good shot, uh, shot that's blocked, that would have been a goal, I mean, he just does a little head feint towards the near post, slides quickly back to that position, totally puts the defender on skates, and gets himself free in the box. I want to just read you something. The most top five European league goals since December 2009. Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski. Cavani, Suarez, Aguero, Aubameyang, Ibrahimovic. That's the list. That's where he is. With all due respect to Lacazette, who is a lovely player and a true professional and a hard worker and a talented guy, Aubameyang's a different gravy, as you say. And I just think, as you said, we committed the money to him. Get this guy on the pitch. He will score goals. And there will be things he can't do. And there will be games he's not a factor. But that, you know, if he's a goal every other game guy then that, that's just what you got to do. Um, you know, Paul, I, I think that the Aubameyang-Lacazette debate is, is it's never going to be settled because you're not just going to stop using Lacazette. Um, but I, I think if you are going to use Lacazette up front, then, you know, the question becomes who you put around him. How much do you think this desire to start pressing is going to influence who the manager picks? I mean, Pepe doesn't play today, but he was full of praise for Pepe all week. I don't get the sense that this is... Pepe kind of falling out of favor again. I, I do get the sense that this was horses for courses, maybe even a little rotation ahead of Benfica. So do you have a thought there in terms of, you know, what's going, are we going to have a first choice? Is Pepe going to be in it or not? Is it is it going to be determined now by this this pressing system? How do you see that shaking out? Because between Odegaard and Smithrow and Saka and Aubameyang and Pepe and Martinelli to some extent and Lacazette, I think there are a few of those we know for sure are, are trending towards first choice. But what about the rest? Um, I don't think that Arteta is ready to settle on a particular system. I do think, uh, toothpaste analogy-wise, we have come in our progression to a point. We're, we've been on an arc, uh, a, a a progression in terms of capabilities, where we can now play in the final third against uh, and generate opportunities and press against most teams. I mean, it's interesting that against the most pressing of teams, that's how he's basically decided live by the sword, die by the sword. So we end up pressing Southampton off the pitch. In the first half, we pressed Leeds off the pitch, um, playing them at their own game. But I don't think he's ready to commit to a singular style. So I think he's going to want that flexibility. In terms of who the lineup is, I think he has current favorites. But that's a, a work in progress. Clearly, he's 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 used the media a little bit, maybe, to talk about the challenges with Pepe in the past and the progress with Pepe recently. That he says it's clicked it's for clicked. him. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suspect maybe it hasn't quite clicked for Martin Nelly yet. You know, that's a whole conversation around. That's coming. We'll talk about that with the substitution. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and but I think it applies to everybody, and it applies to Odegaard. And the amazing thing is, there's not much to say about Odegaard. He comes in, plays like he's always been there. Uh, we've got like best part of five attacking players in our front six, and and even Chaka's uh, when we're playing like this ends up being a relatively attacking player. But you got Sabias, Odegaard, Saka, ESR buzzing around and you know if i'm going to to join in the mood you know i have a lot of time for lacazette in principle through the middle with obamyang on the left if tierney is on the wing which is a big if and if tierney isn't on the wing then that whole side is kind of dead because you just can't create and obamyang's a lower touch guy but uh without obamyang through the middle what I like most about this is, or sorry, without Lacazette through the middle, you have Aubameyang making his movement out to the left and making that space in the middle, Odegaard uh, and Smithrow and Ceballos and Saka now have all sorts of space to combine, uh, move, rotate. Uh, Bellerin comes in as a mid, I mean, you end up having six attacking players. Bellerin comes in as a, a, a midfielder, uh, and 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 late runner into the box and not having Lacazette opens up that whole field of play. You can throw Pepe into that mix now. 
uh, Arteta keeps wanting to be able to throw Willian into it. I think Willian gets the game plan, but doesn't deliver once he leaves London Colony. Um, and, you know, Pepe's getting there. Martinelli, maybe not quite yet. Uh, I th- we watch Martinelli and see a really good player having decent games. But you can see Arteta's frustration. You can see him yanking him at halftime against United. You can see him not getting as quickly on the pitch as his, to our eyes, his performances might merit. But you can play good or okay and still not be play- doing exactly what it is Arteta's looking for. And he's on a progression here in terms of how we play. Mm. And it matters how you, n- not just if you did good, and if people liked what they saw, but how you're playing. So, the, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think we're married to a, a, a style, but we're definitely way more 4-2-3-1 than we've been for a long time. We won't press every game. I don't think we have trained to be in the kind of physical condition. And, and we couldn't... Yeah. We, we did a pretty good job in the second half. I went back and had a look at it. I don't think we actually drop off massively in terms of intensity for at least the first till 60 maybe 70 minutes but i wonder what happened around that time hmm. maybe yeah. we'll get to that uh yeah look i, I agree with you. i think it's interesting because we brought odegaard in and the perception was look it's pretty obvious smith Rowe is 20 he's been crucial to our renaissance he has an injury track record odegaard will give him a chance to get some matches off and instead he's been so important that here yeah. smith Rowe and odegaard just play together and obviously it worked right. um but it does give him that flexibility i, I think with pepe Look, he's played well enough. He's been instrumental enough. And he's been talked up by the manager enough that I don't think there's a there there. I think he's still right in the plans. And this was just a day for something different. With Martinelli, who got hauled off at halftime against United. I say hauled off, but, you know, clearly there was a suggestion that he wasn't really where the coach wanted him. And he brings Willian on. Um, You know, there might be more of a there there. Because also when he first arrived, he seemed a little more reluctant to use Martinelli. So that is one that I think... We can come to, and just before we get there, because I know, Clive, you wanted to talk about this, and we can do this quickly, but I do think we, we'd we be remiss to not mention Gabriel, who I thought had a really good game. And, you know, he's been out a bit. I think there's been a question of whether he's still first choice. You know, Luis keeps his place, for better or worse, but Gabriel impressed me, not just with his defending, but the way he was striding out past a first man, you know, distributing with confidence. His, his comfort level on the ball is really interesting to see. Because he wasn't just giving it away first time, you know, to whoever was there. He was carrying that ball out, striding out, looking for an option up the pitch. And I thought that was really encouraging. Um, I think it is an open debate who that first choice center back pairing is going to be. You know, Louise is a player who on his day is very good. But when you don't know if he's going to be on his day and he can kill you when he's not, that's a scary proposition for a coach. But at the same time... He does add that experience, and we know that Arteta defaults to liking experience. So what do you think of that partnership? And maybe in particular what I thought was a pretty effective day for uh, for Gabriel, both with the ball and without it. I thought their game recognition was really good. I think they are a good partnership. I think they could be the best, actually. Um, I think... We've You're just never do... going to rate Holding, are you, Clive? Just admit it. You're well, just never going to rate the kids. Oh, hold, Holding's fine, <laughs> but guessing. for me, he's, he's, uh, he's one of four centre-backs. He's not one of two. You know, and that's just my feeling on it. It's enough games, everybody, right? So, and this, you know, every every week is three games. So, no, there's no point in falling down one or the other because all it takes is a little strain, and the other one's in, right? Do you know what I mean? So, what I looked at in this game was obviously you can see that with leaves man to man, you have to commit people. So, if there's a hole to drive through, drive through it. Have you got ability to do it? Well, those two definitely have, and they did multiple times. As soon as you do that, that commits people. Commits people. They drop off their man. You pass the free man. Off you go. Right. So they recognise that really well. They also recognise the ability to stretch teams. So they went longer. Pulling pulls it earlier on. That this you know this is all. This is a game. Well, I'm almost loath to talk about the individuals because. We can all see that, you know. We can all watch a game and say this player did well, this player didn't do well. I think this was a day for implementation of attacking principles, and these attacking principles have been in place since Christmas, right? So, attacking principle number one: penetration. We're looking forward first. You all agree? Yeah, that, 100%. That's, we stop looking backwards. We're all looking forward first. Yep. Forward first. How can we get the ball into areas? Stop playing in our final third. Once we put the ball forward, 
very important to support that possession in three different ways. Even a triangle or a diamond, you support playing possession. Who epitomizes that more than anybody? Probably Smith Rowe. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Dispersal. The ability to stretch teams, right? So not just play in front of teams, but push people, go through, go over the top. Really important. Rotation mobility. Rotation of positions. When one player moves out of that hole, you go into it straight away. That suddenly looks a bit better now because players are thinking that one brain way. But the last piece we're adding in, maybe with Odegaard, maybe a bit of Pepe as well, is that improv. I mean, how many times do I hear Tim say the word, there's no improvisation in this team, no creativity in this team? Well, a lot of these players are the same. Some of them are the same with a, with a couple of additions. But we're like we're thinking back to Nasri, Clev, Babagas, Baziki type improvisation all of a sudden. Do you see what I mean? Because they've been let off the leash and the coach has Im- implemented these attacking principles. Now, the addition of party, go forward. Jacka says, I fancy some of that, go forward. The bias comes in, I fancy some of that because I've been watching it for three weeks. I better go forward. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's continuing the centre backs. They are so, so go forward. You know, with no party, Louis' smart selection. No big pass on the right channel. Louise is there. We've still got a big pass. You see what I mean? I thought Arteta was brilliant in this game. I thought he was absolutely brilliant in this game. And the so, outside thinks that he got outcoached. He said that uh, yeah, uh, Arteta's so, tactics were better. This goes back to my theory. I know no one agrees with me, but I want him to have coaching time next year. Because if he does, we're, we're going to get into the top four. Because I think he's a brilliant coach. And uh, I'm so pleased that we've got the serenity of results that allow me to actually say that word without being slaughtered. Because without because the results mean a lot to people. They're the currency of everything for people. But for me, it's always about his growth and development as a coach and as a leader of this club. And I wanted him to have time. The only way you get time is when you start winning games. I was desperate to win those games. Not because I want Arsenal to win four matches, because we'll be fine. But I, I don't think this guy's done yet. I don't think we've seen him yet. But some of the problems he's solved historically, people have forgot. And they just missed it as an FA Cup run. This is good stuff. We're beating big teams. Not beating rubbish teams. We're beating big teams and we've repeated it. You know, mm. So we're stupid, right? Yeah, we're stupid. Walls, I'm still not over it. We are dumb at times. But that's the next phase. Mental strength under pressure. Mm. right? Holding on to your technique under pressure. There was a guy who plays for Man City, a young, bright player, his name's Doyle. I don't think anyone knows him. And um, he looks like a right good sprinter, a bit like Harvey Barnes. Going to be a good player. He's just like the eighth sub now. And the other day, I think it was a midweek game, he went down the right wing and he ran in on goal and Foden was to the left and he took this shot and it went past the near post. And, you know, normally people go, ooh. I'm looking at it thinking, well, Man City don't do that. It's a square pass. You pass square, you pass into the net. That's their principles. Their principles scream at you. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now is principles of play that are becoming, we're getting used to. But we're pining on individual performances. And actually, we should be focusing on those principles and to see if the coach can implement them you know, against maybe better size and in a more consistent way. And that's, that's the fun of the next sort of six to eight months for me. Yeah, and look, I mean, he's he's solved a lot of problems. Good coaches solve problems. Did he solve them a little slower than some of us would like? Yeah, I mean, I I said this on the instant reaction, I think it bears repeating, which is if you are someone who wants to only look at the last six weeks and say, see, he's fantastic, you are entirely entitled to do that. If you're someone who wants to only look at what went before and say, no, he's crap, I don't think you're entitled to do that. But I think you're also entitled to say, hey, that first year he was here does count. And he's now proving that he can solve those problems. But, you know, he's got to keep this going. He's got to continue solving problems. And so far, so good. Um, you know, I, I think it speaks volumes that we're not talking about the Shaka Ceballos central midfield pairing after this game. And I, by the way, I thought they were both good. I thought Ceballos was excellent having been out. But central midfield was where we sort of thought this team went to die and was the whole problem with the team and the reason we couldn't do anything without why we needed Thomas Partey. And turns out with a little bit of a press and adding some more technical players and Smith, Rowe, and Odegaard, and you know you get your goal scorer up front and Saka goes supernova and suddenly you're not talking about them. Hector Bellerin scored a goal in this game. I was all excited to go big on him, but he had some defensive lapses too, so I'm just going to leave it. Um, you know, And we're getting by with our backup left back. So you know, he's doing this 
with with great coaching and better tactics. And and I I'm thrilled to see it. I, I think that what's interesting to me, Tim, I was surprised. Social media surprised me sometimes with how positive it can be when I'm not feeling positive, but it can also do the opposite to me. Uh, I was surprised that Willian became such a big talking point after this game. Mm. To me, this was a brilliant, fun performance where we won comfortably. I wasn't nervous at 4-2, and I understand you say, how can you not be nervous at 4-2? This is Arsenal. It just never felt to me like they were really coming back, and we had some chances we could have made it 5. I mean, it it wasn't like suddenly it was one-way traffic and we were getting battered. They had a little run in the game. They had a great corner that led to a goal. Okay, but I guess it, it was a talking point, and it was a talking point mm-hmm. that people really picked up on. And look, if I was going to be critical of where Arteta is right now, I would maybe say that that substitutions are an area we can be critical. So let's specifically talk about this Willian one for ESR. First mm-hmm. of all, I think he could have taken sack off. I think he could have used the rest. You know, um, mm-hmm. he's played a lot of minutes, but. That just felt, again, like putting Willian into a position where he's probably not going to succeed anyway in a game that didn't suit him. It's a high-energy, counter-pressing kind of game. Let's leave Pepe aside, because maybe Pepe was just being rested for the day. He was warming up a bit, maybe because we had the lead and we were sitting on it, he opted not to use him. But the Martinelli has that high-energy pressing capability. He's also a player we have a real big investment in getting back to the level we think he can hit. Why do you think he went, Willian, over Martinelli? And, and do you... Are you suspecting there's any issue there? I mean, do you have, first and foremost, the, the same issue with the Willian sub that a lot of people had? Because for a lot of people, this became a pretty big talking point after. Yeah, it, it is becoming a really big talking point, um, particularly on Twitter. And you, you can see how down on him people are. And as always with these things, like it, it's completely understandable that people are down on him. I am as well. But at the same time, like you feel like it, it's going a bit over the top. And so I feel a bit conflicted because on one hand, it is a talking point and it was something I was kind of moved to talk about as well. And uh, and when I say on the other hand, I've when I, yeah, I, I kind of have a feeling that we shouldn't make it as big a thing as we do. And that's not because it's not a talking point and I want to sweep it under the carpet, but I do feel like we make it a bit of a downer. Um, but nevertheless, I, I I still do think it's an interesting discussion point. And um, first of all, I, I agree with what Clive said on the instant reaction that this was much more of a Martinelli game. Like there was another goal in this for us and it's a sprinty, pressy kind of game and he can do that. But so let, let me kind of first say, if you haven't given up on the player, um, which Arteta clearly hasn't. I mean, he's lost faith in the player because he's not starting anymore, but he clearly hasn't given up on him in perpetuity. And you could argue that he shouldn't. Um, I'm not saying this is necessarily my argument, but you could argue he shouldn't yet because with the contract we've given him, we've probably got him for the next three years, whether we like it or not. And it makes sense to try and make him work. And if you're going to do that, 4-0 up at home, like surely that's a time that you can bring him on and try and give him some confidence. What I can't understand is why we keep putting him on the left wing, or sorry, why Arteta keeps putting him on the left wing when you know, not to repeat myself, he's really never done that convincingly in his career. He's a very outside player. Like all, all he wants to do is go on the outside, beat his full back, get the ball in. Look at his actual assists for Arsenal, of which there haven't been many. That one for Aubameyang, where is he? He's out on the right touchline. Look at the, the cross for Gabriel against Wolves. Where is he? He's out on the right touchline. One touch, bang, ball in. That's what he wants to do. One touch, ball in, or one touch, face up the fullback, one touch past him, get the ball in. He's the, he's the most like 1950s outside winger ever. He's like... You know, like Stanley, Stanley Matthews, Tom Finney, drop the shoulder, get the ball in. The most old-fashioned winger going. Playing Willian on the left wing, to me, is like playing Kieran Tierney at right back. Like, he, he doesn't want to come inside, and he's got no left foot. It makes no sense to put him on the left wing. All, all he's done, all of his career, is he's always had an overlapper at right back. Um, he played with Danny Alves very, very well for Brazil. And you look at who he played with um, at Chelsea, Azpilicueta, Ivanovic, Rhys James, these guys who just motor up the outside of you. Um, they don't under, like Ivanovic and Azpilicueta, they do not underlap. They overlap. They power past you. And then that gives the fullback a decision to make. So Willian can either play in the fullback on the overlap or he can use the, the wrong footedness of the defender to go past him himself. Like he's a very simple player 
<laughs> we're asking him to do things he can't really do. But even if in the long term Arteta thinks that this is a guy that can play number 10 in the left wing, like don't do that at the moment when his his confidence is in the toilet like if you're trying to build the player back up and you're trying to get him back get him doing stuff he's comfortable with go and put him on the right we know Saka's fine Saka can play 20 minutes back on the left wing if that's what you want to do don't worry about doing that make him comfortable again and then worry about the bells and whistles if you think he can play as a, a left wing or as a number 10 get him back on the right where he's comfortable because you can see on the left his his shoulders are faced inwards because that that's like he, he can only face in one direction, William. <laughs> so if you put him on the left wing, he's just going to face infield and all he's going to do is pass it sideways and backwards anyway, even if he's confident. And he's not confident, so that means it's going to go backwards and it might not even land when it gets there. So at least if he's going to get shit wrong and he's going to lose the ball, make it because he's trying to beat a fullback and he doesn't quite get him on the dribble or he's trying to play... Bellerin in on the overlap and he's losing the ball, you know, inside in the last 15 yards of the pitch. Stop putting him on the halfway line, shoulders faced inwards, passing in fields and backwards when his confidence in the shitter and when he coughs the ball up, it's a big problem. Like stop doing that. If you want the player back, make him comfortable first and then fuck around later. Yeah. I mean, I, the guy completed 45% of his passes. Like something is really up there now. And I don't know. I, I mean, Paul, f for me, this was not a big talking point in this game. It did not bother me the way it bothered other people. But given the chance to think about it, where it does bother me is what are the opportunities for us to start to reintegrate Martinelli? And does Arteta want to do that? I don't care about the Pepe thing because for me, I, I really don't think there's a there there. I think Pepe is, is if, if he's not starting on the left every game, he's the alternative to starting on the left every game to what we just did with Smith, Rowe, and Odegaard. It's one of those. I think we're in that point. I think Pepe has pushed his way back into that reckoning. But I don't know where Martinelli is because he did come off at halftime against United and we haven't seen him feature subsequently. And you don't know if he's being protected, if there's a little bit of a niggle there or if there's a little bit of an, a coaching niggle there. So is that is that really why this matters? I mean, look, the Willian deal has proved to be bad. It just is what it is now. There's a Twitter account, how many days left on the Willian contract? Like, that's where we're at. And the club's going to have to maybe hit the cancel contract button yet again. Someone might have to lose their job over that. But setting it aside, from a footballing standpoint, he just can't stand in the way of Martinelli at this point. That can't happen. So is is that really, for you, the concern and the question? No. Okay. <laughs> Look, that's a very reasonable hypothesis. Uh, in, our, in our path to Hegelian discourse that we have on this, I will go with the, the counter to that, which is, it's just too early to say, right, um, Martinelli is going to be, should be fine. He's just too good. Um, yeah, but you got to use him. Is, you gotta, I mean, he can't just be good, in, you know, uh, notionally. <laughs> He's got to be on the pitch. Yeah, in a vacuum. Nature <laughs> abhors a vacuum, so you're going to be fine there, Elliot. Oh, good. No, um, he's like really good. And he's got superpowers. And that's part of his problem is that he's probably playing to his superpowers, not selfishly, just he's a little too individualist. You know, he's going to run like a train, uh, runs in straight lines, charges around the place, which sounds fine. Uh, perhaps it needs a little bit more coordination. The problem with a guy who'll run halfway uh, up the pitch to press the keeper <clears throat> is if that's not what you wanted at that exact moment, that means he's vacated his post. Um, so this isn't criticism of Martinelli, but you could see how he might not exactly be in the right spot for what uh, what uh, Arteta was looking for at a particular moment in the game if he leans into his personal strengths. I don't think it's a major problem. It's just he's kind of getting integrated into Arteta's vision of how we should play. And conversely, Willian, God bless him, uh, in training... Um, this is, again, hypothesis, but one has to explain it in some form or other. Kind of does what the manager tells him to do, and it works okay in training. On the big football pitch with an opposition, he's found to be underwhelming, um, and it doesn't translate. Um, like, if we could go back in time, we'd all wish this transfer away. He's here now. I don't know that this contract's getting torn up in... Uh, in the summer, he could be here for quite a long time. So 
I I go with it's early days. If it stays on this particular path, look, I'm with you. You can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. But I'm with Tim that the manager has the challenge of getting a tune out of Willian at some stage. And that's why he brings him on when we're basically four zero four one up because mm-hmm. he can. Um, so I don't disagree. I just think it's a little early. We've written off other players. We've got a tune out of. Um, but if the future is the same as the path, yeah, there's nothing to argue about here. Yeah. Um, yeah, what can you say? But but things have to change. I mean, he has to become substantially better than what he's delivering at the moment for him to yeah. merit getting on the pitch. It is easy to say from behind a podcast or a Twitter account or whatever it is, a Facebook account, a MySpace account, he just shouldn't use William. And I understand and I agree, but inside the dynamics of a club where you're paying a big wage to him, where he's a big character in the game, where he's in the dressing room, freezing him out, you know, that can become a distraction. And, and I, I understand why he wants to get more out of him. Unfortunately, um, I, I don't know that he can just, you know, just say he's not going to play anymore. I mean, I'd like him to, but I understand why he feels like he can't do that. Um, but you know what? Look, that the point is we just won. We just scored four goals. We're playing well. And and let's not let that be the focus. He shouldn't let that be the focus. And he, he's going to have to fine-tune that. But he's fine-tuning a lot of things that are getting right. We're pressing. We're moving the ball quickly. The ball goes forward. The goal-scoring chances are coming. It is exciting. Unfortunately, I'm up against the hardest of hard stops because there's no child care today in the United States, which is super unfortunate. So here's the deal. We're going to do a live show, really fun live stream video before the Benfica game. We'll also have a Benfica preview. We'll also have a rewatch tomorrow with Clive and I, the first half of the Leeds game over on patreon so i hope you will sign up but as i always say if you don't want to or can't or think that's a dumb idea i'm just thrilled that you're here with us for this one either way um we're just thrilled to have you fun day hat trick for oba saka looks amazing the ball moves quickly the pressing is coming together we're a long way from where we were is it perfect no but it's certainly trending the right way and oh look there's man city on the horizon to screw it all up clive's on twitter at clive pfc thanks clive thank you very much tim's on twitter Stoberto. thanks tim my pleasure as always paul's on twitter pause my pants thanks pause I apologize that this free podcast was not the 90 minutes that you may have been expecting or I would have liked to have been doing. You can blame uh, presidents for having a day in the United States. I know I do. But you know what? More to come tomorrow. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Benfica nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.